0: If you've ever read books like Left Behind or other fictional books like that or seen some of the movies, uh, the so-called Christian movies that are out there that talk about the rapture, you you, you probably wonder, uh, well, how how much of that stuff is actually accurate? Uh, Yes, they do take what we might say some poetic license, a lot of poetic license, in fact, I'm sure. Uh, And that's why they call their books fictional... But there is, there is, they try to base it, those movies and the books somewhat on on the truth of the Scripture, but frankly, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. And this is one of the reasons why there is some debate and, and there are Christians who would disagree on Bible prophecy. But everybody who, who uh, takes the Bible literally believes certainly in the physical second coming of Christ, that is one of the essential things we need to believe in, a fundamental of the faith. And and almost as many people believe in a rapture of the church to heaven. Now there's various views I'll just quickly introduce to you in a moment, but just bear with me. We're not all, we we may not every, all of us agree on this issue. And that's fine, by the way, if you don't agree with with me and, and my opinion on that. We can still love each other and We can still fellowship with each other, even if we don't see eye to eye on this issue. But the Bible does talk about uh, Christ's coming and and the resurrection and all that. So we need to address these things. Uh, There's different opinions to the exact timing of the rapture. We don't know when that's going to happen. We shouldn't set dates like some have. That would be unwise. And there is no one verse in the Bible that you can go to, to that would tell you, it teaches specifically when Jesus will come. It's just not there in the Bible. Uh, the timing of that event's a matter of really deduction based on careful study of various Bible passages about the Lord's return. And so let me be crystal clear here to start with. The, as we talk about the Lord's return and what's going to happen to believers who who have died in Christ and those who are still alive, what you know those those things. We're not talking about uh, the rapture. Certainly, would not be an essential. It's a non-essential, and so there is room for diversity. And so we do need to love each other if we if we don't see eye to eye on this issue. But uh, the Bible does talk about prophecy, and so it is important. And so we'll, we'll be spending a few weeks a few weeks talking about what does the Bible say is going to happen in the future. And I hope that this will cause us to be longing and and looking and waiting for the Lord's return and living as if it could happen at any moment. Well, let me just introduce you to various views of the rapture. Of course, uh, you probably know I am a pre-tribulationist. That is my particular view based on what I've seen in the Scriptures. So, uh, again, you don't have to believe what I believe, but uh, I want to just introduce these to you. So in the pre-tribulational view, of course, pre means before the seven-year tribulation, time of judgment on this earth. You can read about that uh, in Revelation from about chapter 5. You keep reading on to about chapter 18 or so. You'll see all these various judgments. That's going to happen during the seven-year tribulation. But be, I believe before that time, Jesus is going to rapture. He's going The idea is that He's going to catch up the believers and so the church in its entirety will, by resurrection as well as transformation, be removed from the earth before the seven-year tribulation. And so Give me a little diagram there. Hopefully that will make sense to you. So a rapture taking place before the tribulation, and then after the tribulation you see a millennium. So Christ comes here in fulfillment of a promise in Revelation 3.10. You don't need to turn here, but it does... does say that that we're going to be kept, His people be kept from the the hour of trial or testing that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, one author said this. I'm quoting Dwight Pentecost in his book, Things to Come. He said that pre-tribulation rapturism rests essentially on one major premise, the literal method of interpretation of the Scriptures, end quote. So I hope we, we believe in a literal interpretation of Scripture. And I certainly do. And so when you just take it in its plain, normal, literal sense, I think, I think you'll, you'll come to this conclusion. Well, that's one view, but another view that some Christians have is called a partial rapture view, where Christ will only rapture those who are eagerly waiting for Him, those who are ready for Christ to return. They're longing, they they want Him to return, and they're living like it. Uh, Causing some Christians then who who aren't ready for Christ to return, to to enter into the tribulation, uh, to be raptured at another time. Sometime you can see the little line there carrying on, the so-called carnal Christians being raptured sometime during the tribulation. And so this view is not supported by other teachings in the Scripture, Uh, at least I haven't seen it. Another view is called the the mid tribulation view, where Christ raptures his church in the middle of the tribulation, with the the rapture of the the two witnesses there. We read about in Revelation chapter eleven. Uh, that's kind of the uh, when these people talk about this and teach it, they they use those two witnesses as the illustration of the mid tribulation uh, view. But one of the problems with this view is that those Two witnesses are Hebrews, <laughs> clearly Hebrews, as long as along with the 144,000 witnesses are also Hebrews, and, and they come to minister to the Hebrews there, particularly in Jerusalem. Uh, they're not members of the church per se. Uh, certainly, they're believers, but not not officially members of the church during the church age. Uh, the last few is called the post-tribulation view. Obviously, post means at the end of the seven years of tribulation time. So this view is probably, my understanding, second in popularity after the pre-tribulation position where Christ will come at the end of the tribulation. And so the church is obviously, as you can see there on your screen, it's going to go through the tribulation, be raptured just before the glorious tribulation. Appearing of Jesus Christ and so those who are raptured end up kind of going quickly zipping right up into the sky and then they, they, they zip right back down kind of like a yo-yo yeah, but it leaves no time to visit the father's house there's no time there for the judgment seat of Christ to take place in heaven no time for the marriage supper of the lamb to take place in heaven none of that uh, and so one important the fact that the post trib advocates have missed is Jesus' promise to keep believers out of the time of trial. Obviously, that promise would be broken if Christ came for the church after uh, an, an overwhelming majority of its members have been martyred. There's going to be a lot of people martyred during the tribulation. Those who uh, take the mark of the beast will be unbelievers. The Bible says... But those who don't, many of them will be martyred. So those are the four main views. Now, I want to show you why the rapture may be pre-tribulational, why I think it's pre-tribulational, and and the Scriptures talk about this. Number one, the Lord Himself promised to deliver us. If you read Revelation chapter 3, there's, there's seven churches mentioned there in chapters 2 and 3. And there's a promise in chapter 3, verse 10, guaranteeing the church's rapture before the tribulation. Uh, if you're not there already, uh, let me just encourage you, have a look at Revelation 3, verse 10. And you say, well, isn't this just to this particular church, the, the church of Philadelphia? Well, certainly the context is... a a particular local church in Philadelphia. But I want to just point out a few things here that also spreads out to to other believers, not just them. But uh, within this church of Philadelphia, Jesus Christ said this, Revelation 3.10, "...because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth." So Jesus says, I'm coming soon. So hold fast. So, of course, this promise appears in a letter written to the Church of Philadelphia. We can be certain it refers to all Christians, written to a church here. But this, number one, think about this. This passage refers to a future event. Uh, Yes, there would be some time of trial, and testing that would come upon the early church. Uh, that's certainly true. But uh, I also want you to notice that the Church of Philadelphia has long since been destroyed and disbanded, uh, just like some of the others here in, in Revelation. So, is it just referring to them? If it is, then there's no further application here. Another thing to think about is that this was a letter to all the churches, this these, uh, these, these letters here weren't just, for example, just for Philadelphia. These were, were circulated. So all seven churches were to read all seven of these, these things that Christ said to the churches. And so this promise uh, here will, will not be fulfilled until a time of trial or testing comes upon the whole world, not just the church here at Philadelphia. A whole world testing interesting the word in your Bible the Greek or the Hebrew or sorry English word from comes from a Greek word ek there in verse 10 literally means out of means out of so they're going to be saved out of this time of testing and trial in other words they're not going to go through it so that's that's one little string, and we're going to take several little strings. And what we're going to what I'm what I'm trying to do is take all these little strings and weave them together into a strong rope. The Second little string to think about is that only the pre-tribulation view preserves imminence. It's the only one that preserves imminence. In other words, imminence is a word that's just used to refer to the doctrine that Christ could come at any moment, calling his bride to be with him and and to come to his Father's house, as John 14 says. And that's why Scripture has so many exhortations over and over again. We're told to watch, be ready, looking for Jesus to come at any moment. So think about it. If All those other views we just talked about, the rapture views, if if we have signs of Christ coming, then we know when he's going to come. We would know. And there would be no, 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 no real purpose for the, the watching and waiting. The other views destroy this, this immediate, anytime coming. In fact, those views have Christians looking not for Christ, but they're, they would be looking for an antichrist. They'd be looking for things that the Bible talks about during the tribulation. We're not to be looking for those. We're to be looking for Christ. Number three, a third string we're going to weave into this, this rope is that Christians are not appointed to wrath. Now, ultimately, of course, we're not appointed to an eternal condemnation. As Romans 8 says, we're, those who are in Christ are eternally, we're not looking for a condemnation. But according to 1 Thessalonians, turn over there because we'll, we'll look at a couple of verses here. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. This is coming right after the past, the famous passage of the coming of the Lord. But look what chapter 5, verse 9 says. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Meant to be encouraging words, comforting words. So this passage is, of course, following one of the strongest passages in your Bible on the rapture, and so that that does need to be considered in its context, in the light of that, of, of where it lives. And so the word wrath, by the way, is referring to temporal, uh, to temporal. Uh, and Eternal judgment. Therefore, this, uh, this wrath includes the tribulation. And, and the word salvation there is referring to deliverance from the tribulation. And since, since the tribulation is the time of God's wrath, and since Christians are not appointed to that wrath, then it makes sense that, that the church is going to be raptured before those seven years of judgment. Another argument, it's an argument from silence, but nevertheless still an argument, is that the church is absent from Revelation 4 through 18. The church is mentioned 17 times in the first three chapters of Revelation, but then it it, it goes silent. You don't don't see the church in Revelation 4 to 18, because that's the tribulation period. And so after John's called up to heaven there at the beginning of chapter 4, what is he doing? He's looking down on these various events uh, during the tribulation. The church isn't mentioned uh, again until chapter 19. I think think there's a good chronology. If you take the book of Revelation literally, you'll see chronology going all the way from the church age through the tribulation period on into the millennium and then the eternal state. And so she returns to the earth here with her groom, who of course is Christ. Why is that? The church is not in the tribulation, I believe. She, she's raptured before the tribulation and she's with her groom and get to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb together in heaven. So let's look at some, some various passages that show us the basis of the rapture. The truth that Jesus is going to return to gather believers to himself is based on three pillars. And you take any one of these pillars out, it's going to collapse. So three pillars, kind of like a three-legged stool. You ever seen a three-legged stool? If you only have two legs, it doesn't work very well, does it? Now we need all three legs or pillars here to, to support this truth, and we're going to see these in 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's start reading in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. As Paul Paul here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. He He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He he means those who have died in Christ. He wants us to be comforted and encouraged. because Some people are wondering, well, what's going to happen to these people who have died? They were believers. They're they're dead. We're still alive. Christ comes back. What's going to happen to them? Do they get to go to heaven? They're concerned about this. You might be wondering, well, what's going to happen to you if you die before Christ comes? What's, what, what will happen to you and your body? Well, th- this, is, this is helpful. So these people are, are dead in Christ, and that's why they're called to sleep. So let's read on. Because it says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. first pillar, or truth, that we need to see here in verse 14 is the death of Christ. The death of Christ. Jesus died, verse 14 says. We're we're to believe this truth. So Paul says, notice he, he uses the word since. Verse fourteen. For since, when you see the word "since," it's pointing usually pointing back to the previous context. Uh, the idea is that based on the fact that we believe that Jesus died, there are certain logical things to follow. Jesus died, didn't he? We believe that he was buried, and so the apostle's statement summarizes here all the richness Christ atoning work which provides the foundation then for the rapture of the church. And that's good news. Jesus' death satisfied the demands of God's justice. Sin was dealt with. Jesus paid in full the penalty for all believers' sins. And as a result, Christians have now been made acceptable to God and were fit to be gathered into His presence. When He calls us home, We can answer that call. We get to go home because Christ has done the work for us. So that first pillar, there is the death of Christ. Pillar number two is the resurrection of Christ because Jesus died, was buried, but He rose again. Verse 14 says, Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, If you keep reading on, it says that God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Because of these two truths—Jesus' death, resurrection—God's going to bring us home. We're going to bring the believers home. Look what verse fifteen says: For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, we are left, or who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So the resurrection of Christ here indicates that God the Father then accepted the sacrifice of His Son when He was on the cross. So Jesus could accurately say, it is finished. As a result, Christ became then the source of resurrection life for every Christian. Praise God! God's going to treat believers the same way He treated Jesus Christ. That's a glorious truth and promise. Just as God raised Jesus... You and I can also be resurrected. So believers will definitely be resurrected. Why? Because Jesus was resurrected. And the third pillar is the revelation of Christ. So we've got the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and then the revelation of Christ. These are three glorious strongholds, truths. So verse 15 says, For this we declare to you, by a word from the Lord. so Paul's teaching here on the rapture was, wasn't just his own opinions, his own thoughts. This was a word from the Lord. This was revelation of Christ to him, direct revelation from God. Not Paul's opinions. It's not Paul's theory. His teachings coming with the authority of God. And so when you combine these three pillars together, You have a solid foundation. What's the point? Well, the rapture is set on the sure foundation of the death, the resurrection, and the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. So we need to find out then, well, who are the participants? Who who gets to get raptured? Who's going to be caught up into the clouds to meet Jesus? Verse 15 answers that. Middle of verse 15 says, We who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there's two groups of people that are going to participate in the rapture, this catching up. Two groups. Number one, it's those who are alive when Jesus returns. Whenever that is, could be any moment. Hope you're ready. So if you're alive when Jesus returns, good news for you, my friend. You're going to get to go to heaven. <laughs> that trumpet is blown. And Jesus is going to be waiting there in the clouds for you, and you're going to go. You're going to go up to meet him. I hope you're ready. But if you should die before that time, notice what it says, because there's a second group of people mentioned there. If, if you should die before Jesus' return, talks about people who have fallen asleep. They're dead in Christ, in other words. It's just a temporary thing. They will be resurrected, too. So the fact that Paul used the word we, there in verse 15, is indicating he believed the rapture could happen even during his lifetime. Paul was ready for that. He had a proper anticipation of and expectation for the Lord's return. By the way, that was one of the issues Paul had to deal with here at the church of Thessalonica. Some of them were being a little lazy, in fact, very lazy, not working, right? And that's why Paul says, if you don't work, you should not eat. So he's basically telling them, don't be lazy, you need to work. Until Christ comes, you keep working. You don't just sit around on top of a mountain looking for Jesus to come, right? That was a the problem. They, they believed in the Lord's return. I'm glad. Praise God. You've got to have a balanced perspective here. So Paul addresses that in this particular book. Paul had the right perspective, the right expectation that the Lord could come back at any moment, but Paul was busy, wasn't he? He worked hard for the Lord. He wisely didn't predict a specific time for this to happen, because Paul didn't know. Nobody knows. But uh, do you understand what's, what's going on here, my friends? Those believers who have died have not missed the rapture. There was a concern in the church. Those who were still alive were thinking, well, you know, my mother and my father and my, my brother and my sister, they've, they're dead. And, and, and Jesus could come back at any moment. Are they going to miss Jesus? They're concerned about that. Paul's addressing that here. No, they're not going to. It's the living are not going to precede the dead, the Bible says. The two are going to go together. They're not going to gain any advantage. And so those who die before the rapture will in no sense be inferior to those who are still alive. Why? Because all Christians get to participate in the rapture. So what happens? What's going to happen in the rapture? Well, let me give you some events that the Bible talks about, some specific things that are going to happen. And some have, uh, who talk about the rapture have given it all sorts of interesting nicknames, Here's some of the ones that I've found. Uh, the rapture's been called Project Disappearance, The Ultimate Trip, The Blessed Hope, and The Church Goes Extraterrestrial. <laughs> right? So, and there's been all kinds of interesting movies and books written on this particular subject. With a, Like I said, a lot of poetic license goes into that. Reading Between the Lines of Scripture. But here's, here's some things I, I do know that the Bible specifically talks about with no poetic, poetic license going on, all right? They're drawn from various portions of Scripture. Number one, Jesus Christ is going to descend from the Father's house, which, of course, is in heaven, where the Bible says he is now, Jesus, one of his present ministries, he's in heaven preparing a place for believers. Beautiful passage. I hope you're familiar with this. It's very comforting. John 14, Jesus said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. John fourteen two says, In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am you may be also. Are you wondering what Jesus is doing now? He's not bored. (laughs) He's not twiddling His thumbs, idling the time away. The Bible says He is preparing rooms. He keeps attaching room after room unto His Father's house. And when He's done building and creating, the trumpet will sound and He's going to come to get His bride. Number two he'll come again then to as i said to receive believers his bride to himself and john 14 there's based on a kind of jewish culture and tradition where where a, man, a young man would would build a room literally build a room onto his father's house and when that was done the father would would then give permission and the whole family friends would celebrate walking through the town to go to go get the bride and there would be this huge, big celebration, get the bride and all her friends and family, and then they'd march back to the to the Father's house, and they'd have this big feast. And depending on how much wealth the Father had would determine how long the feast would last. And that's what happened in Bible times. That's the, the picture what's going to happen in the future when the groom, who is Jesus, comes to get his bride, the church. Number three, he will resurrect the deceased Christians. In other words, those who are dead, fallen asleep. We just read about that. I won't read it again. So God had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. Guess what? He's going to raise you from the dead too if you're a believer in Christ. And then number four, Jesus Christ will shout as He descends. The Bible talks about this in verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 which says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first we'll see number five i'm just going to go quickly through this all christians will then hear the voice of the archangel verse 16 talks about the archangel uh, Archangel he's he's kind of like the leader of the group of the angels these messengers of God so he's he has a voice and he's going to use it the voice that God gave him God's given him the message I don't know what that is but it's it's going to announce the coming of the lord for his bride and number six Christians will hear the trumpet call of God God's a musical god he's the one who created music so we see the not only the voice of the archangel but the sound of the trumpet of god which will blow again pointing back to you know biblical times the old testament they would they would use various trumpets different sounds meant different things announcing you know the arrival of a king or whatever it might be right a, you know retreat in a battle or go forward in the battle they had different sounds to to help activate a large group and that's what's going on here. The trumpet's going to call the believers home. Number seven, the deceased Christians will rise first. So those who are in the ground, they get to go first. All the corruptible ashes of their dead bodies, the Bible says, will be made incorruptible. So even somebody whose body was burnt or has decayed and the worms have eaten it is going to then be Joined together with their spirit, which Christ is going to bring with him. Look at uh, verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So praise God. Your body that is falling apart, it's experiencing decay even now as we speak. <laughs> We feel that growing old is not for wimps, is it? And we, we know that. Eventually, if the Lord doesn't come back, we're going to die. But the good news is we have a hope, an eternal hope, that our body will be made new. Number nine. Oh, sorry, I was going to read from 1 Corinthians. You see the passage there, which we read earlier in our Scripture reading, 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 51, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So my friends, one day you will have a body that will never die, never grow old, never experience any pain, suffering of any kind. Praise God, I will never have a headache again. (laughs) Those of you who experience arthritis, never again. Vertigo will never happen again. Right? Whatever your, your aches and pains and sufferings you go through in this life, my friends, it is gone. Whatever that is. You'll never experience it again because God's going to make you new. Just as Jesus' body was after His resurrection. And then number nine, we see that the, the deceased and alive Christians are going to be caught up or raptured together. Verse 17 says, they go together. So the, these Thessalonian Christians were concerned about their dead relatives and friends. Well, guess what? They have no reason to be concerned because they're also going to be raptured and caught up. Number ten, that all, we see all Christians will have this big reunion up in the clouds because they're going to meet the Lord there in the air, it says. And so we will always be with the Lord. So we get to meet Jesus Christ. My friends, are you ready? Are you looking, waiting, longing for His return? Because number twelve says that Christ will receive these Christians to Himself. We're going to be taken to heaven. John fourteen three says, "See, He's going to take you back to His Father's house. Father's house, who so of course God the Father's house, which of course is heaven." And then last we see the believers will always be with the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll never be a, a parting and never never be a separation. And you'll never have to say goodbye. I don't like goodbyes. I don't like saying goodbye. It's painful. But there'll be a day when we'll just have to see, we're just going to always get to be there with the Lord. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. Hope you are too. So, why is this in our Bible? Why does it matter? Why should it matter to you? Because you might be sitting there thinking, oh, that's nice, that's interesting. So what? (laughs) Some Some people are like that when it comes to Bible prophecy. So if you're asking the so what, verse 18, verse 18 really answers the question for you. Here is the benefit of knowing this truth. Verse 18 says, Therefore. And whenever you see a therefore in the Scripture, you're to ask, what is it there for? Well, that's the previous context. All this beautiful truth about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is there for this purpose. Verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, that's not the only reason it's in the Scriptures. Of course, God is to be glorified in all of this not just there to somehow meet our needs. God is glorified in this as well. But Paul's goal here in, in this context at least was as he talks about the rapture was to comfort believers with truth. Truth is to be a comfort. We need to meditate upon the truth because truth or good theology is always going to then end up driving good methodology. What you believe is going to end up being lived out, practiced in your life. So the benefit is not just to kind of fill in the gaps of your your future timelines so you can some people get really hung up on you know, timelines and you know, like the Seventh day Adventists got now they have you notice they have now have two channels on TV? I noticed that. Channel twenty six and twenty seven, if I remember. And what do they spend most of their time talking about? Well, from my experience, and the times I've looked at it, is they love talking about Bible prophecy, the end times, future. Good. I'm, I'm glad they want to study the Bibles, But there's a point in all of that. We don't want to just fill in the gaps of some future timeline so we can be puffed up, get proud, full of knowledge, so you can somehow look good. That's not the purpose of this. The Thessalonians... Paul says, didn't need to grieve or sorrow as their fellow believers who had died. Well, Guess what? Here's the point, my friends. Neither do we. Neither do we. We can rejoice. We can celebrate. We can be encouraged and comforted. Because we know there is going to be a resurrection, even if we should die before Jesus returns. So let's encourage one another with these words. But we need to go a step farther. Encourage one another with these words. Meditate upon them. Think about them. Hold them dear to your heart. That Jesus is coming. But truth needs to drive our methodology. The the truth needs to be lived out, practiced. Or the way James said it, right? Be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer only. What what are we going to do with this? Well, if you really believe this, then you're going to be concerned. For anybody left behind. You're going to be concerned about the unbelievers. Because if they go through a seven-year tribulation, that's a horrible time. We need to be concerned about them. It's a time of judgment. And not only that, not only should we, we be concerned about evangelism, those who are lost, but we, we can then be longing, looking, waiting. That's our our responsibility. But not like some of the Thessalonians, not being lazy, because that's one of the ditches you can fall into. See, we're to be working until the king returns. So my friends, let's be balanced. Longing, looking, waiting for the return of King Jesus, not being lazy, not wasting our time, wasting our life, working for His kingdom, His cause, His purposes, with a heart that is set on eternity in Christ. That's the good balance that we're to have here. And in continually encouraging one another with this truth, not just setting our affections on the things here on the earth, but remembering we're just passing through this world. This world isn't our home. We're just passing through because we have a the real home, a real eternity yet to come. Better things yet to come. So may God open our eyes that we would really believe this truth and live it out for His glory as well as our good. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for these truths. May they comfort us, encourage us. May we practice and live out the truth of Your Word, not just being hearers only. May we know who Jesus is, what He is currently doing, what He's going to do in the future, and may this be encouraging to us. May we be waiting. Give us hearts that are not too attached to this earth. Detach our hearts from this temporary life and give us hearts for eternity and for Christ and what He loves and what He's concerned about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.